today is a really significant day for us <clears throat> in, a, in a few ways. And I want to kind of walk you through that. Um, go ahead, if you would, pass down your books and take out your note cards so that you see the, the blanks to fill in for Jesus revealed in the book of Revelation. Um, I believe God does things on purpose. And I think many times uh, we miss how God's just kind of showing off in unusual ways. Sometimes maybe showing us he has a sense of humor. Um, and perhaps that's the case with this particular weekend because it was May of 2015 that we launched for the first Sunday morning a journey that has taken us quite some time. Here we are now, September 24th, right? The 2017. Um, the day after the rapture was predicted by many and end times prophecy came to pass yesterday. And, and, and by the way, it was fascinating. If you really looked into that at all and saw what was predicted and the star alignment and so on, it didn't necessarily say that the rapture was going to happen. It's just things came into alignment in such a way with the book of Revelation that there was great indication of uh, something very remarkable and unusual taking place. And so a lot of people started kind of, you know, big flurry. Of, of that but this is what I find so intriguing here we are the day after that and we have now two years later landed in the last book of Jesus revealed in each book of the Bible today we talk about Jesus in Revelation we didn't mean to do that that was never planned but I believe it's just one of those times that God sets some things in order set some things in motion just to remind us and let us know that he is good and he is God and he is able can you just Declare it with me. He is good, he is God, and he is able. I'm probably going to give you a little bit of a different look at the book of Revelation than what you've seen uh, before, and I want to share a little bit about that. <clears throat> but I felt like it was important as we're coming to the end of this journey, and, and I did have a number of pastors that uh, told me they thought I was crazy for doing this because it's just such a long journey. I mean, it took 66 Sundays plus all the special event Sundays and so on to get here. But what, what's happened is as a conclusion of this, we now have a resource on our website, destinychristian.com. Every time you go to study any book of the Bible, then you can find that message and listen, we're 30 to 40 minute message and you'll hear history and context of each book, how Jesus is uniquely revealed in that book and it will help you be a better student of the Word. And our goal is not to help you fall in love with the speaker. Our goal is to help you fall in love with the Savior. That's why we do things like to try and empower you to read your own Bible. So the Bible talks about um, how we are to inspire the next generation. And I have to ask, and I want you to think about, about this. This is a very important question because it all ties into the turn the page challenge that we've issued. And I'll explain it in a moment again, just so we all are on the same page with it. Um, but the Bible speaks of our inspiring the next generation. And I just have to ask the question, what is it about your life and what is it about my life that will cause an unborn generation that's coming behind us to stand up and praise their God? What is it about our lives that will make an unborn generation coming behind us stand up and praise their God? Well, obviously, our involvement in ministry as a church family that will outlast our lives. How many of you know our being involved together so that our church becomes strong and it outlives and outlasts us will reach a generation well beyond us and we are a contributing part to that wonderful legacy of God's expanding work in the earth. 
And so uh, that's an important component. That's why all the tables are set up in the lobby today so that you can find your role in being a part of helping perpetuate with some form and sense of priority and pattern being involved in ministry. It doesn't happen if we don't have people devoted to a pattern of being involved and engaged. And then the church becomes strengthened. Well, that doesn't just happen on a corporate level. It happens on a private, personal level. So the idea of the the turn-the-page challenge has simply been you start in an old-fashioned Bible in the book of Genesis every day, make, the, you know, mark, make a mark at the top of the page, the date, and put anything to commemorate in that. Every day, just turn one page. Just take time. If you miss a day, don't worry about it. I mean, the whole idea is to go all the way through Genesis to Revelation, and then you have this wonderful heirloom to leave in the hands of your children that will be passed down, hopefully, to your children's children's children, and you then will personally be empowered to inspire a generation that is yet to be born in really knowing who God is. How many know it's a beautiful thing for us to understand we serve a multi-generational God? And we get to be a part of it, just this window. So this is one way for you to do that. So today, as we get into this final uh, book, I want to just say to those who've taken the Turn the Page Challenge, this is not like one of the things that I mention along the way. I, I think you get this is very centerpiece to me personally, to me pastorally, to us as a church family, we have to be men and women that are nourishing ourselves spiritually. And so I want to ask if you have taken the Turn the Page Challenge and you've actually gone all the way through Genesis to Revelation, would you just stand? We want to declare a special blessing of increased appetite over your life in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. And if you'll stay standing... I want to ask those of you who've taken the challenge and you've not yet finished, but you've taken that challenge, you're doing turn the page, if you'll stand, because we are going to get there. We are on a journey and we're agreeing, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they'll be filled. God's increasing our appetite. And I want to ask if everyone in the church family would stand. And let's stand in a new appetite and a new hunger for the things of God, every single one of us. There are a lot of ways to seek God, a lot of ways to read your Bible. I get that. But I really challenge you to give serious consideration to this way that will impact material, uh, in, a, in a very material way, a very physical way, generations beyond us. Lord, we stand and we surrender to you in the power of your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us corporately today as a family as we lift up the name of Jesus and we embrace the truth of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, you would take us deeper in places of our personal pursuit to know you more intimately and express you more effectively in Jesus name in Jesus name and listen as we step into this today focus of revelation I'm gonna ask if you'll just stand I know we don't normally do this not our custom but I'm gonna ask if you will stand in honor of the reading of God's Word if you're if you're able to do so then if you would and I'm gonna read most of Revelation chapter 1 it's gonna take a minute but I'm not apologizing for that because we need to honor and give honor where honor is due. And the book of Revelation reveals something so profound about Jesus that we absolutely race past out of a fear-driven pursuit of apocalyptic scripture. We miss this powerful revelation of Christ right here in the first chapter. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John 
to the seven churches, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God our Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Look, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the people of the earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet and though, as though I were dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I want to say that to you loud and clear. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. Come on, let's give this king the praise and the glory and the adoration that he deserves in this place. We lift up the name of Jesus. Everything we do will always center around Jesus who came, and he lived, and he died. But behold, he is alive today, and he is awakening something within us in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Isn't it profound when we just look, even at the overall context of this book, something so powerful in the very beginning, but we rush right past it to try and find the mark of the beast and the seven-year peace treaty and the things that are embedded in scripture and the book of revelation that captivate us because we know that they speak of an apocalyptic pending judgment and there are a lot of things out of the book of revelation that are in place and in motion yet today and i i just want you to know i feel far from qualified to be the one standing up here talking to you about the book of Revelation today. But my goal in all of this, and, and um, it's not my favorite subject. I don't even really like the research and study of it all that much. But I, I will tell you, I do have an obligation as a point teacher of Scripture in the body of Christ that I have some eschatological conclusions to, to bring. The, the thing that I think is most important is that you and I understand that I'm not here to, to help you figure it all out, but I am here to motivate and empower you to be on that journey yourself. So I, I'll promise you I have well over 100 hours of researching this topic over the course of time, probably a lot more than that. But, uh, you know, I don't, most of it I don't even understand. I mean, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I don't even understand. 
but I don't have to, and we don't have to have everything figured out, do we? We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and let God work out all those details. But if you want to dig into some real deep study, see some of the things that I've talked about, how Moscow will, route, uh, will march from due north into Israel, it's just a prophecy that's going to come to pass. There'll be two witnesses and all those things that we see in Scripture and the mark of the beast and are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? And I'll touch a little bit on that for you today. But there are 20 pages of research for you available on the blog. Feel free, have a heyday, enjoy yourself, dig in, come to your conclusions. My goal in that, in that writing is not to tell you what to believe, but to help you see differing perspectives. I give you biblical foundations for pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and some of you don't even know what that means, that you think I'm just tribbing out, but that's a whole other thing. So I want to just reiterate something to you as we look at this. Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the coming King, who will come back. Listen carefully. He will come back and will make all things new. He will make all things new. Jesus responded to the disciples' question, interestingly enough, very aligning to what we just read in uh, Revelation. Did you catch it? I reiterated it for you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I, I have to tell you, young and old, I've had all kinds of... I haven't even been able to respond to everybody. I apologize if you uh, have sent me messages and I've not been able to get back to you. Read the blog and then if you want to have a chat, we can sit down. But I mean, young and old, all ages, different people, different places freaking out about apocalyptic end time I, and I just want to point out Jesus said do not be afraid I have had people that attend our church tell me anytime you speak on that topic I will simply not be at church and that's a shame you're allowing fear to drive you into a place that you should never allow yourself to go and on the other side those that don't shrink back from it, but rather thrive in that. They get in the middle of it, and they love to see that stirred up and, and get everybody spun up because it's exciting. You need to step back from that as well. We need to take a Jesus-central approach. Do not be afraid. Don't incite fear. Don't incite riots. Matthew 24, the disciples actually asked Jesus about the last days, and Jesus says there's going to be great deception uh, in the earth, there are going to be wars, there are going to be rumors of wars, nations are going to rise against nations. It's not the verse on the screen, I'm just giving you a synopsis, we'll get to that in a moment. But nations will rise against nations, that word nations is ethnos, it's ethnic groups will rise against ethnic groups even within individual nations. I mean, we're seeing so much of these things unfold and take place, there'll be famines, there'll be pestilences, there'll be earthquakes in various places. And then we see very specifically in the midst of this, verse 6 of Matthew 24, when Jesus says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but listen, see to it that you are not alarmed. That's an interesting word. See to it you're not alarmed. NAS says the New American Standard, which is a very accurate translation, and I recommend it for, for accuracy when you're reading Scripture. Uh, it says, see to it you're not frightened. The Bible says be self-controlled and alert. It does not say be self-controlled and alarmed. When the alarm goes off, everybody loses their mind and they're running for cover and that's alarmed, okay? And, and like Saturday, is, you know, the United States was cut in half by the, by the eclipse and, and, and the stars are aligning and the, the woman's going to give birth and the, the dragon is there to, to eat the child and the seven stars are around the head of the woman. And, and if that's been your approach to this whole thing, then, then you've been alarmed. Even if you're not like experiencing that yourself, but you're expressing it and stirring it up, stop spinning people up over your agenda and your issue. 
let's settle in, let's, let's back up and see what Jesus has to say about all of this. And, and I just want to coach you and pastor you a little bit in this regard. Sensationalization produces sensational reactions which further feed the emotional nature of any situation. Just, just think about it with me. Uh, when something kind of crazy happens, a child's response to crazy is crazy, right? It's the adult in the situation that says, calm down. I know you hit your head on the table. Your eyeball did not pop out. It's going to be okay, right? It's the adult in the situation. It's the mature person in the situation that tries to bring it into a context and a perspective that can help contribute to decisions and conclusions that will be progressive and will be constructive and not be filled with flurry of chaos. So write it in on your blank if you would. We were created to be fascinated, not afraid. We were created to be fascinated. And we need to learn to be fascinated with the Lord our God and even with the, the scripture that he reveals. Fascinated, not afraid. Alert, not alarmed. Those are, this is the language the scripture uses for us. Now, it's easy for people like me that stand in a pulpit and preach the scripture to take advantage of fear that's stirring in the hearts of people about apocalyptic everything and get everybody to show up more readily and give money more uh, you know, generously and, and get involved more effectively and, and you know, Jesus is coming back. And, and I just want you to know that will never be our approach in this church. We want you to do those things because you're mature and because you're intentional about your faith and your relationship with God, not because we want to manipulate you into some type of a, a fear-based reaction. You ought to celebrate that. That's a big thing in church world that we live in today. We want you to be mature. Our objective is that we all grow. That's why we take so much time with something like Turn the Page, so that you'll get in the Word yourself and allow God to begin to grow you up. We have to be very careful to be healthy. And I, it's just a really important statement. Since God didn't give us a spirit of fear, we know that verse, right? 2 Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Since God didn't give us a spirit of fear, Let's be careful and refuse to be driven by fear. Okay, we want to be careful to be healthy, and since God didn't give us a spirit of fear, we must refuse to be driven by fear. Fear won't drive my preaching. Fear won't drive our doctrine. Fear won't drive the things that we do. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Let's not be driven by that. But let's be driven by the promptings, guidance, and direction of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit says this is what we're to do, that's what we want to do. This is interesting because in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to kind of progress through stages of the book today with our time that we have. Revelation 3 verse 1, the Bible says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive. Speaking to a church, okay, the seven churches, this is one of the churches. Your deeds, I know your deeds, I know what you do, and you have a reputation of being alive. But did you see the last statement? But you are dead. You have a reputation of life. But it's only the presence and presentation of life. There's really no true substance that exists deep in your soul. And I believe the church today needs to wake up to the reality that God wants us to move into a place of great substance in our lives where we, people can count on us. People can know the certainty of our lives. People will know that our walk and our stride is strong. They know that we're men and women of truth. They know that we're men and women of power. They know that we're men and women of maturity. Come on. Not, not just spinning everything up and having a presentation of something awesome going on and nobody really be, having their lives transformed. 
The enemy is willing, and just hear it, the enemy is willing to use any kind of bait. You are willing to bite to distract you from Jesus. He'll use any kind of bait. If you just, if, anything to keep your eyes off of Jesus. I, I'm, I'm not just wanting to, to give you this structure of this message. I have so much to say, but I just am checked by the Holy Spirit right now. Come on, let's hear what the Spirit has to say. Exactly like the book of Revelation says, hear what the Spirit has to say. How many of you know God wants to have a conversation with you? So Holy Spirit, say what you're desiring to say in each of our hearts and lives. Help us today, God, just to have a greater sense of what you're desiring to speak and accomplish through our surrendered available lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The enemy will use any kind of bait you're willing to bite just to keep your eyes off of Jesus. If eschatology is your bait and can get you stirred up and stirring other people up and in a flurry of emotion and fear just so that you don't focus in on Jesus, then he'll use that. Uh, listen, if, if social causes can get your eyes off of Jesus and get you spun up over whatever social cause you're going to devote your life to, if, if the distraction of, of, of hobbies and sports, I mean, I, I, uh, come on, I just think it's ridiculous that just because your team loses on Saturday, you suffer such depression, you can't walk into church knowing that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Grow up, people of God. Come on. I'm preaching today. This is silly. There are eternal matters at stake. And whatever the enemy can do to get you spun up and hijacked and distracted, eschatology, social causes, politics, if I can just get my political agenda spun up, now I'm no longer even focusing on what Jesus is trying to do in the nation. Anytime you come to the resolve and you start saying, what's wrong with all these idiots who don't agree with me, then you've been spun up in some direction that you have decided you figured it out, everybody else is dumb, you've dismissed them, and I will tell you this, labeling people keeps you from loving people, and when you dismiss somebody as an idiot, then you no longer will have compassion on them. The enemy loves it when we do this. And we're in an atmosphere right now in our nation where this is really, really easy to do. It is such bait. I'm going to say it again. Labeling people keeps you from loving them and your compassion is hindered for anybody you've chosen to dismiss. So this is why all this is important to the book of Revelation. Because Jesus is coming back. And Jesus is going to pronounce total judgment on all ungodliness. The problem is, we as Christians tend to do that prematurely. We begin to pronounce judgment. We begin to step into that role of judgment. We begin to, to take a, an approach and a disposition that is unloving and unkind and dismissing and labeling because we figured it out. And that is not the era of dispensation in which you and I live. We are in the dispensation of grace. If you go back to the very beginning, the fall of mankind, and you begin to see the various dispensations of what God is doing in the earth. And when Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus is alive, and the New Testament church was born, that's the era in which you and I live, this is the era where God's redeeming power is being made available to all the world, all of the world, 
all of the world, and you and I are that representation in the world. You and I are that representation. In Revelation chapter 5, we see this incredible imagery of Jesus and the church and how he's interceding for a transformation of our world. It speaks of incense and harps, and, and that speaks of prayers and worship and, you know, the bowls and harps ministries that have taken place. And it's a beautiful picture and expression of how we as a kingdom of priests are bringing hope of transformation into our world. And I want you to hear me say this loud and clear. God, for God so loved the world, God has a global love for all the world. Anybody go to the fair in the last week or so? You ran into some people that might not look or act like you did. God has a global love. Do you understand? Global love. Loves everybody. Loves everybody in the whole wide world. We carry a tribal perspective. God has a global love. We settle into our tribal theology. God has a global love. We get in a tribal limitation, dismissing people around us, having an attitude that does not allow people into the global love of God because we have tribal limitation. I want you to know God's love is powerful enough to reach into any person's life, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done. Jesus is Lord, and he wants every person on the planet to know it. We need every one of you in this fight, and we need you understanding what the fight is all about. We're not yet in the place where this horrible judgment's taking place, so let's not get there too early, okay? Let's take our time and let's understand that until Jesus comes back, it is our responsibility to offer hope and God's loving embrace to all humanity, that they might be rescued by the love and the life of Jesus Christ. We need everyone in the fight. See, there's something that happens when um, this morning at 9, you know, we meet at 9 for those that want to come early and just pray into the morning. We take just a few moments before everybody breaks into their places. And I said something that I, I didn't even have in my notes, but it made such sense. I want to tie this in because uh, you know the term bridezilla. How many of you ladies are married, you know that term because you became that bridezilla? Raise your hand if that's you, just be honest. Okay, we got a few bridezillas in the room. What that term means is, and this happens, young couples come in to me and they say, well, Pastor, we're so excited, we want to get married. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited for you. And then, you know, after they want to get married, then they realize, like, uh, we've got to order, we've got to organize, we're, we're going to get married, we're going to get married. And, and it goes from, we're so excited we're getting married, to, oh, we're going to get married. And then it goes to, Oh, no, we're about to get married. Like, it's almost time, and I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. What am I going to do this? And, and, and they turn it. This is where Bridezilla comes in. Because how many of you know right before the wedding day, there's a real busy season. You don't even talk to that girl. You just let her get done what she needs to get done. She has so much to do. Because just before the wedding, the bride gets very busy. Just before the wedding, the bride gets very busy. Just before the wedding... The bride gets very busy. See, some people are starting to clap because they're realizing that the book of Revelation talks about when Jesus comes back, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And just before the wedding, the bride gets very busy. Just before we come back, right before we meet Jesus coming back. How many believe Jesus is coming back? 
there begins to be much more of an intentional, mature, deliberate, organized focus to accomplish what God is trying to accomplish in the earth. I believe you and I are in that era. I believe you and I are part of that church. I believe you and I have a great obligation and a great responsibility to stop serving our own whims and desires and pleasures in the way we live and come back to what Jesus has tried to establish in the earth. Jesus has tried to release the church in the earth. And if, we, if the church outlives us, it'll be stronger because of us. We need every one of you in this fight. We need you loving, number one. Loving. Just practice a smile. Just loving, kindness, embracing, including. Moving beyond our tribal perspective to a more understanding of a global love that actually invites people in that you and I might not normally invite people in. That's the global love of God. It's bigger than what we've allowed it to be. How many believe it's true? I in no way am saying anything other than Jesus is Lord and he wants to be Lord of everybody. That's what I'm saying. We need everybody loving. We need everybody serving. We need everybody serving. We need help serving. We need to do more than just service the needs of our church family that shows up on Sunday. We need so many people engaged in serving that we start to look at how we can bring expressions of our hospitality beyond these doors into other areas of the community. We need other people serving in a tech expression in such a way, in a worship expression in such a way that we're looking at, man, we got all these people engaged and involved and gifted, and how can we do this beyond these doors and begin to make an expression in the community? We need people involved in all kinds of areas that are, are your heart and your, you know, there, there's something in you that's awakened that is true to you. My, we went to the zoo or to the fair, you know, we're walking through there and I watched my wife, my lawyer wife, who doesn't get all, you know, ooey gooey silly about very many things in life. I watched her as we walked into the petting zoo. She said, let's go in the petting zoo for Lex. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and so I go, I mean, to me, the petting zoo is nothing but stank. I don't know what your thought is, but you're, you're in there and like these things are trying to eat your clothes and, you know, it's like, I mean, okay, it's cool. We saw a kangaroo and a llama and, and a goat and a pig and, you know, I mean, it's like old McDonald's farm right there. That's great. We saw it. I'm ready to go. No, Tracy wants me to buy food. So... So Lexi can feed them, but she wants me to buy two things of food so she can help. And so, yeah. And so they, I mean, Tracy acts like a toddler in that cage stink. She's looking at those animals and like this one goat comes up and she's wearing some shredded jeans and, and it starts eating the shreds. And, and I'm just like, he's going to eat a hole in your jeans. And she's like, it's so cute. I'm like, you're crazy. You lost your mind. I mean, you know, there's something in every one of us that's inclined to be awakened in a certain direction that doesn't necessarily fit. Other, I want it out of the cage. She could have stayed there a lot longer. So you got to understand this from a standpoint of the gifts that are within you because I'm calling to the church that needs to be awakened in a state of greater maturity. Some of us are inclined to be like that when we're around children. Some of us are inclined to be like that when we're around worship expression. Some of us are inclined to be like that when we get the opportunity to step over in an intercessory role. We need you expressing what Jesus wants us to express as a family. We are the church. 
We are saving humanity. Do you understand the depth of what I'm talking about? We're on a rescue mission. We're not here to gather and sing songs and be preached up a little bit. You came in for your little motivational speech so you can keep a smile on for a few days, walking through this difficult day, all the, this difficult week. I got, no, you are a mighty man, a woman of God. You carry something bigger than that. You got enough strength in you, not just for your own joy, but the whole world's joy. You got it in you. You've got it in you. Hey! Come on! We need every one of you in the fight. We need you loving. We need you serving. We need you giving. We need to not wrestle around with, our, you know, how long is it going to take to get the kids' area? Or, or can we fund the budget to make a difference and an impact in this way and that way? We need you to understand that tithing and giving and offerings are a part of your worshipful expression in maturity to the Lord your God. You're not going to have a bucket passed in front of your face here because, again, we're trying to take you to a more mature expression in your own life. That's why giving stations are at the back. And in a place of worship, you go back and you don't just participate in worship and giving. You participate in warfare and giving. And you're releasing something of finance in your life that expands the kingdom and the earth and assigns God's blessing to your life. That's the way God set this up to be an expression of worship. Revelation 11, and it speaks of this unfolding negotiations. These things are coming. You've heard seven-year peace treaty discussions, peace of the Middle East. And I'm going to walk you through a little bit of this because, again, this is why we're doing what we're doing because these things unfold. And, and this has been in discussions for a very long time, but there will be a seven-year peace treaty signed in the Middle East. This is the way the Bible describes this. It'll be negotiated, discussed, signed. Once it's signed, it has seven years to play out, and in the middle of it, at three and a half years, it will be broken. And the Bible describes this as the abomination of desolation. And in the course of this time, very interestingly, these two dudes are going to show up. They're called prophets of old that are going to show up in the streets of Jerusalem, and they're going to begin to prophesy pending judgment. If you're a pre-trib person, then you believe that we will be rescued out of here before the, the, the treaty is signed. If you see a seven-year peace treaty signed, change your position if you were pre-trib. Start believing for mid-trib. Because if you're mid-trib, then what you believe is when the abomination of desolation occurs and the treaty is broken in the middle of it, that's when the church will be rescued out. If you see that happen and you're still here, then you'll switch to post-tribulation. And post-tribulation means after the seven years have gone out and all hell has broken loose in the earth, God will then rescue the church and those that have responded to his love and his life and his power and his supremacy as King of kings and Lord of lords out of the earth. This is, I don't know how it's going to happen. You decide your own. I've got explanations of all three of those positions on, on the blog if you want to read through that. But these two witnesses, it's very interesting because the Bible says all nations will look upon these two witnesses and they will die. They'll, they'll be attacked and they'll be scrutinized and people will, will attempt to kill them but they will not be able to kill them until their prophetic assignment is done. And the Bible says that when they are killed, they will lay in the streets. And all nations of the world will look upon them. 
That is impossible if you're in biblical days reading this, but we know that the news networks will broadcast this type of a scenario going on all over the whole planet, and yes, all nations of the world will look upon their dead bodies after this whole thing has come, and crazy eruption of all kinds of emotion and hysteria will be taking place. Revelation 14 describes this battle of Armageddon prophesied, and this is the apocalyptic nature of, of these times of things you can read about this in Joel chapter 3 verse 2 and it says I'll gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat then I will enter into judgment with them on their behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel whom they have scattered among the nations that they have divided up my land pay attention because God takes this whole issue of the land very seriously so should we This valley of Jehoshaphat, I, I've, not, I've not been there. I've not seen this with my own eyes. Some of you have, but I studied this out to be able to give you a picture of it today because there's some big battle that's going to take place in this valley, and I'm trying to figure out where is this valley, how big is this valley, what's it going to look like? So I want you to think with me as we go to where Jesus was arrested, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can look across a kind of a shallow valley, and you can see the temple. You can see the east gate of the temple, on the Temple Mount. So the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives, which the Bible prophesies will uh, split in two. And we do know now that there is a fault line down the middle of that mountain, and it says it will split in two east to west, and that's exactly the way the fault line lines up. It's exactly the way the Bible predicts it's going to happen, folks. This is like not make-up, make-believe stuff. we got to realize this is real stuff. I have pictures of this on the blog. You can see the content, all of it. Take a look there and, and see if you like. But bottom line, Jesus is arrested. He's taken down the Mount Olives, up the Temple Mount, into the East Gate. There's a prophecy that describes the Messiah will return and he will enter the East Gate. And I want you to know, Jesus already fulfilled that prophecy when he came as the sacrificial lamb riding on the donkey. He entered into that gate and that was a prophecy fulfilled that the Messiah has come, but he is coming back and he will not be a sacrificial lamb. He will be a roaring lion. He will not be riding on a, a donkey. He'll be riding on a horse and he will go through that gate yet again and fulfill who he is as the Messiah and Israel and Jews will recognize their Messiah has come in that moment in time do you see this this final battle is going to take place and in the midst of all of it God is trying to draw us in to a place where we fear not and we understand we're part of the plan to expand the work in the earth. You've heard the scripture out of Revelation, I'm sure it's one of the most common. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hears my voice, very important that we learn to hear the voice of God. When you gave your life to Jesus, you heard his voice. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you hear his voice. The more you take time to turn the page, spend time in prayer, just alone with God, turn on your own worship, you'll hear his voice. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in, dine with him, and he with me. We're going to eat. You know, eating's a pretty important thing with God. Jesus was always having a meal. Have you noticed that? 
He was always having a meal with his friends. It seemed he was always in the house of those that the Jews were in question of, and he was there having a meal. After he died and he was raised from the grave, he cooked up some fish with his buddies and he had a meal. Like he's always about eating. The church does have that part right. A lot of food. In the very beginning, think about it. The fall of humanity took place as a result of a meal that was eaten without the presence of God. Eve ate without God. The restoration of all humanity will take place in the very end of the book of Revelation when we gather together for a meal, the marriage supper. Meal is a really important part of what God wants to do. And I do think it's very interesting. There are three phrases people all over the world love to hear, and it lines up with the gospel so beautifully. The first phrase everybody loves to hear, no matter where you live, no matter what nation you're in, no matter what language you speak, the number one thing people love to hear, I love you. We were born by God to be loved because God is love. The number two thing people love to hear is you're forgiven because we all make mistakes. I love you. You're forgiven. The number three thing people love to hear is let's eat. I love you. You're forgiven. Let's eat. So Jesus is there at the door. He's knocking. For God so loved the world. Wait, would you stand? Jesus is there at the door of our hearts knocking. For God so loved the world, I love you. That he sent his son Jesus to forgive us, you're forgiven. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, we'll eat. Let's eat. I love you. You're forgiven. Let's eat. I just want to tell you that's about the simplest, most beautiful expression of the gospel I personally have ever heard in my life. And if you want to make a difference in people's lives, don't sling insults in their direction. Let them know that you care. Take time to express graciousness, which is forgiveness, and have a meal. That's what God does for us. So we should follow his example. Would you just join me, Lord? I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you not only love us from a distance, sitting on your throne, the edge of eternity, looking over, just shouting that you love us, but I thank you that you sent your son as a physical expression of that love to awaken something within us, to tell us not only do you love us, but you want to forgive us. And I thank you, Lord. That there's a meal involved where we begin to understand there's food that the world doesn't even know of. There's bread in Christ who came from heaven. There's water in a well that's beyond this world's system. We were born for that meal. We were born. We were born for that. Man does not live by bread alone but by the substance that comes out of our Creator's mouth as He releases something that awakens our soul and 
drives us into places of loving, serving, and giving to expand the work of God in the earth. Help us to get it, Lord. Forgive us where we've been hijacked and distracted. Forgive us, Lord, where we've not been intentional and mature and we've allowed the resources of our energy and our lives to be squandered in various directions, feeling such an urgency to be involved in things that maybe we just need to back off from so that we can really take our place and fulfill our assignment. In Jesus' name.